impacts them every day. I think we're going to do a great job. What's going on, guys? Welcome to the Modern Man Podcast, where we connect men in pursuit of their potential. Join us as we embrace discomfort, cultivate community, and put wind in each other's sails. If you're ready to take your personal and professional growth to the next level, be sure to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. And of course, don't forget to check out the Noble Knights Mastermind Group, where you will find the support, accountability, and mentorship you need to achieve your goals. Join us and become a part of a community of like-minded men on a mission to improve themselves and elevate their capacity for life. I'm excited to get some wind in our sails from our guest out of Reno, Nevada, creator, dad, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, purple belt, lover of all things water, CEO of Elite Ads. It's my pleasure to have Chandler Walker on the podcast. Chandler, thanks for taking the time, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here to talk about the ups and downs and everything in between and how life can take us through some crazy twists and turns and how we can make reasonable expectations to thrive. Yeah, absolutely. Listen, life has given me a couple punches in life, but hey, I'm I'm here, dust myself off. We're still going as a lot of our listeners have, have done as well. I really quick want to make sure that I give you the floor so you have the opportunity to introduce yourself in your own words, get acquainted with the audience, because I can I can say the titles, CEO, elite ads, I can say the accolades, but that only tells just a fraction and a piece of the story. So I'd love to hear from you on, on how you introduce yourself and you can uh, welcome yourself to the audience and we can kind of hop into the conversation. Yeah, happy to do it. My name's Chandler. I am a person who likes to, I'm I'm constantly smiling. I'm, I'm trying to constantly be happy. I'm a dad. I think beyond business, one of the most important things for me is to be there for my daughter, my little girl, to actually have a dad who can be with her and not just quote unquote working for her. Because I think when we get to that realm, we lose the actual sight of what we're doing it for. I grew up with a, a bipolar mom. So growing up, I learned the ups and downs, the in-betweens of mental health and people who suffer from it and how to not hate someone for where they're at. And I kind of learned to communicate with people from a place of compassion, care, and concern and to check my ego. And I think it's one of the powerful lessons that's led me to have success in my life and where I'm at. Yeah. Um, hey, we could, we could start right there if you don't mind in terms of that environment how would you say that's that's molded how you show up in your family today because you, you mentioned learning how to check the ego and and really have compassion and understanding which i think is is not something that comes naturally to a lot of us men we we almost have to learn that the hard way or or kind of have to go through some experiences in life and, and unfortunately sometimes it's not until later in life with our spouse or, or with our children uh, but for someone who's on you know who've ha who's had to go through it a little earlier in life how has that i guess shaped the relationships for you through adolescence and moving forward yeah good question so growing up like that i grew up with my mother and i had obviously siblings. And what I learned with her was there was periods of like extreme high, like happiness and extreme low, like sadness. And sometimes the extreme lows, sadness was anger and there was yelling and screaming. She never really directed it at me, but most kids in that environment turn to sort of hate. They learn to hate that environment and hate who they are. They become very just not very confident in themselves. And it forces them into this, this kind of weird position to where they're never truly happy and they don't know why. But what I learned from that young age was that it wasn't 
my fault. And, and I started learning that what she was saying was a byproduct of where she was sort of suffering from. And she didn't really find a solution until my adult life. But what I recognized was that if I didn't get angry, and if I didn't push my emotions into it, then I was able to actually quell the situation. And so what it was, and maybe it was a defense, defense mechanism early, but what it taught me was that if I didn't become emotionally involved in the situation, I could calm the situation down and remove the problem from the situation. So as I grew up, what I learned was if you have patience, if you sit there and listen to someone, if you ask questions, if you bring the, the conversation and the moment from an emotional moment down to sort of a logical moment or a moment to where you're neutral, you can actually remove the problem from a lot of different situations. And take like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu martial arts when i go through that i'm i'm at the brown belt level now but it's not about violence it's about obviously being prepared if something happens but when you're in a situation that's escalated <clears throat> the most important aspect of de-escalating those situations is your ability to communicate and your ability to communicate at a neutral level and bring someone from a level 10 down to a level five without them feeling minimized or without them feeling like you're talking down to them or without them feeling like you're getting upset or angry yeah, it's it's uh, one of my mentors used to call it verbal jujitsu or you exactly know, martial arts is, you know, the, the you know, the the interaction or the conflict begins in the dialogue and being able to use that dialogue in a specific and intentional way to avoid, uh, you know, a foreseeable outcome is really where the skill comes into play. Sure, having the ability to handle a worst case scenario is helpful, but your intention is never to get there. And I, I imagine that there's a, I, I hear when you you mentioned patience and taking the emotion out of it, a level of stoicism in that approach, a level of kind of just calm in the storm and and probably self-awareness as well, that that all comes about when, you know, in, in, our, in our lives, things start to get shaky, whether it be at work, whether it be at relationships, whether it be kind of a, a deadline, or even if you're practicing at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, I imagine it's not easy staying calm when there's when there's someone who is actively trying trying to cause pain. Yeah, exactly. And here, here's a fun situation that I got into couple months ago. So I was wearing a jacket that has, it has pink sleeves and it's like purple and it's a bunch of different colors. It's fun. We call it, well, I'll tell you what the name of it is in a second because it'll make more sense. And my hair's long. So my hair was down and I was at, I, I noticed that my car was low in oil and it was weird because we just got an oil change. So we obviously got screwed, but I pull into the store O'Reilly Auto Ports to get oil to put in the car. And I'm sitting in the checkout line and this guy, he's across from me. He's kind of his clothes are greasy. He's got like holes in his jeans. He looks like he works for a living. So I was like, all right, this dude's probably just kind of upset because he's, Hey, he's had a hard day, whatever. So I look away, I look back, he's still looking at me. And I was like, all right, I'm just not going to look back over there because what in that moment right there, most guys want to look straight at them, push their ego into the situation and be like, I'm not going to let this guy punk me or whatever. And I'm like, who cares? And my little girl was in the car. So I check out and I walk out and then I'm in my car. I'm getting the oil out, getting ready to put it in the car. And this guy walks out. And, and as he walks out, he's staring at me as he walks into the street. So it's like this, like his, like he's an owl. I thought his head was going to turn around like the exorcist with the way he was staring at me. And so I'm, I'm, I look over and I'm like, Hey, do you need any help? Is everything Okay. And so, and then he, he keeps walking, but he says, say something else and I'll come over there. And I was like, what is this dude's problem? He doesn't like me. And I was like, okay, man, just have a good day. So scenario two, what do most guys want to do? Well, F you, uh, don't talk to me like that. I'll show you my ego. But 
why, why would I put my ego in that equation? Why does it matter? What is it going to do for me to get in a fight with the guy on the street with my little girl in the car? It's going to put me in a place where I go to jail and she watches her dad get in a horrible situation. and It impacts her. And so words can only create power over you if you allow them to. So I let him walk and then he gets in his car and his, funny enough, his car has like his business license number name, the, the phone number for where he works, the construction company. So he's like a walking advertisement at the, at the moment. And then he gets in his car. I'm putting the oil in my car. He rolls down his window and he yells, gender fluid, gender fluid. And I was like, oh, mother of God, this guy didn't like me because my hair's long because I have a pink jacket on. And I was like, all right, enjoy your day. Yeah. <laughs> and so he drives off. It. Yeah. Whatever, dude. So then I, my, the funny part after though is my little girl looks at me. She goes, dad, she's four. She goes, what does gender fluid mean? So then I'm like, well, okay, here's what gender fluid means. Here's how it, what, what people do, why they do it. And she goes, oh, okay, well, do you think we can call your jacket gender fluid? And so from then on, we call that jacket, it's called gender fluid. So we leave the house and she goes, daddy, you forgot gender fluid. (laughs) But like, so I, I turned that situation into like a funny, humorous situation, taught her what the word means. And now we have a funny name for the jacket based on that situation. Whereas if I allowed my ego to fall into that and to really get upset and to get mad at that guy and let his words harm me. I could have gotten into a fight on the street. I could have gone to jail that day. My daughter would have watched her dad get into a situation that would have impacted her for a long time. And it would have been completely my fault because I wasn't able to check and control the words someone else that uses against me that don't mean anything. Mm, absolutely, man. I love that. The words only create power if we allow them to. And that is a pretty cool name for the jacket. And I'm picturing the jacket. It sounds, it sounds like a badass jacket. I'm not I should have brought it in here. It's a puffer <laughs> jacket. It looks like a, a Patagonia. It's a legit. <laughs> oh, that's what I'm talking about. And that's the thing is they can hate it if they want to. They don't understand the style, man. They don't exactly. understand the style. Um, growing up, going down, I, I know you went down the medical school route, graduating degree in biochemistry, yet you made a shift, decided to take on a brick and mortar wellness facility, scale that to seven figures. What was that, I guess, transition like? Because, I mean, being the son of two immigrant parents growing up, I had three choices. It was you're a doctor, you're a lawyer, you're a failure. Um, I guess I, I, shocked no them when I, yeah, <laughs> I shocked them when I said, hey, I'm going to go into TV and become a meteorologist. And uh, that that worked out. But there was really kind of a sense of, no, this is what you do. You go to school, you graduate, and you follow through, or else it's, it's, it's not going to be success. I'm interested to know what your experience was like graduating with biochemistry, and what was the catalyst that led you to altering that path? Yeah, good question. So as I was growing up, obviously, my mother suffered from bipolar disorder, and we didn't figure out what was going on until my adult life. And so they kind of led me on the path to where I could sort of be a healer, help people for a living and be part of the solution to the epidemics and problems that we experience. But as I was going through it, and at the same time, my dad was his was an entrepreneur, he had a contractor based business. So it was siding windows, patio covers, stuff like that. He made me work with him every summer. And he said, Chandler, you're going to work with me every summer, you're going to install siding and all these windows and these things. So that way, you never want to work with me again. And that 100% worked, I realized real quick that I did not want to work with my hands for a living. So I was going straight to college, med school, anything. But I did that. But the problem was I was in this to, to help people. I wasn't in this to make money or to for like a God complex or anything like that. And as I was going through and as I was precepting, what I realized was all I was doing was going in the back, looking at a big book, taking the book, giving someone medication and sending them on their way. Mm -hmm. There was no real 
ability to help people long term. And it's not a shot at doctors. It's the way the system is. The system is a sick care system. Help people when they're sick, send them on their way and only help them again when they're sick again. And so at that moment, I knew I I knew I needed to break off. I knew I had the opportunity because I had a network. I'd been doing seminars and working with a bunch of other gyms and stuff like that. Uh, we call the seminar the fluff to tough healthy eating seminar. And so I knew I could break off and do something. And then I knew I my dad ran his business. So I knew it was possible. So I had the confidence there between mom and dad. We It's not like we grew up with this like super wealthy family. It was barely surviving Salisbury steak on white bread sometimes type of living. But I, so I begged, borrowed and pleaded and bootstrapped 50 K to start the the business. And so when people say you need money, it's like, yeah, well, I literally begged and figured out a way to make 50 K and my bank account probably had 36 cents in it at that time. So it's possible to be able to do that. And so then I broke off, we opened the brick and mortar and my dad kind of helped me build things out and get things going, but there was no real concept of what do you do next? I was this young, quote unquote, dumb kid coming out of medical school with no idea how to run a business. Because in like the med school game, it's like, go to class, do your work. You have a very structured schedule and outline. With this, it's like, you have nothing. You don't know what you're doing. So I was able to open, obviously. And then we opened and we were able to fill the doors and have kind of profit and pay our bills when we opened because we did we did what we call the Founders Club. So we had a deal where everybody who signed up before we opened got a certain amount. We calculated that based on what we needed to make to actually pay rent and to be able to survive. But that's kind of when it got really hard. Mm. What were the lessons you learned in that process of adjusting? that you're thankful to have had because a lot of times the the difficultness we experience in life is never fun, but we could look back in hindsight and I could say, you know, a $50 problem when I was 18 years old sucked. A $50 problem today is like, all right, it's, you know, just a, a minor annoyance, but the problem is still the same. My capacity to handle it has changed over time. So that shift in that process before things really got hard what was the, I guess, the biggest lesson um, in the adjustment that you learned? Yeah, the biggest lesson for me was most people wish they wait, they want, they hope, they just, and they just keep being miserable. They just keep doing the thing they don't want to do and they never make a change and never do anything with their lives. And then 20 years down the road, they regret not doing it. Mm -hmm. So the thing that I learned that was probably the biggest impactful thing in my life is I could have gone through med school. I could have gone and finished. I could be three, 400K in debt. I could be miserable. I could be working eight, a million hours a week. I could be not happy with where I'm at, but I didn't. I changed. I shifted my dynamic. I created the income potential of a doctor and more without the debt. And so now when I look back, I, I'm happy that I made the shift. I'm happy that I was able to actually build something to where I can spend time with my daughter now. I don't have to put in 80-hour work week. I don't have to put in all this, this hustle and pray strategy to actually survive. I don't have to be at a hospital 24-7. And so I think the decision for me to act was one of the most impactful decisions of my life because now I don't look back and say, well, what would it have been like if I would have done that? Or I don't look, I, I'm not in that position where, well, I would love to do that, but I have $289,000 in debt. So there's no way I could replace my income. Yeah. And so now it puts me in this place where I'm like, wow, it's pretty cool that I actually did it. It's pretty cool that I'm here because a lot of other people I went to school with tell me that they wish they would have done something similar. I feel like it's hard for us to believe in the moment that there's a different option and, and we could talk about some of you know, the expectations of of ourselves that we put on ourselves maybe the expectations society and others would put on us to grow build 
support a family. And, and a lot of guys go through this. And you mentioned like working the 60 hour weeks, the 80 hour weeks. A lot of us will pride ourselves on being able to put our heads down and provide, but we never truly ask, you know, what it's all for and what it's all about. Did you have that? that mindset beforehand because being able to jump off the cliff could be scary for some and unfortunately so many people are stuck in their ways where they're like no this is what works is what's always worked i know a lot of well-off doctors i'm sticking to this path but how can you show them <laughs> how can you show them you know that the path less taken is probably more fruitful yeah i think for people we like to follow the path of least resistance and what that means is we like to stay on the path that we're on because that's the easiest thing to do. But sometimes the hardest thing to do is look in the mirror and recognize that what you're doing isn't really what you want to do. Even if it's something you've talked about with other people, even if it's something you've been working on for years, even if it's the thing that you're supposed to quote unquote be doing. And people in society will be will say, oh, you're going to be a doctor. Wow, you're you're on the right path. Wow, you're doing the right thing. But internally, you're like, I'm miserable. I'm working 24-7. I hate my life. I'm not super excited about this. I don't think I like where I'm headed, but this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And at that moment, you kind of have to recognize, well, who cares what everybody says? Who cares what my parents says? Who cares what Sally Joe down the street says? Like, I'm not in a race with the Robertsons to try to have the white picket fence, the house, the car, and all the things and the job and the debt. What I'm in is a race to make myself the best version of who I am and who I can be, because this is the only life I get to live. And if I make the decision to be miserable or never change, then at the end of the day, that life that I lived is unfortunately going to be a life that I wasted. And I don't think any of us should put ourselves in that position to waste this beautiful thing that we have. Yeah, absolutely. For anyone that may be sensing and feeling that resentment in their lives, resentment for the relationships that they have, resentment for their job, that resentment is, is usually an indicator that you're not working and you're not operating in your values and in your full fulfillment and what you want to be doing with your life. And you're kind of white knuckling it hoping for an outcome, right? And and some people might say, well, this is a means to an end. Well, where's the end? <laughs> because yeah. tomorrow's not promised, right? <laughs> and that's a good point too. Like I look at my little girl now, she's four. And if I was in a position where I was like, I'm going to work seven days a week, six days a week, 14 hours a day for the betterment of her future. But what really happens in that future? I'm not there. Mm. And so as a father, we always put ourselves in this place where we say, I'm doing this for my kids. But then as, as a father, we're not, ex we don't exist in their lives. We don't go to their dance practices. We don't go to their classes. We don't get to things, see the things that they're doing when they grow up. And do you know what they see? The dad who wasn't there. Mm -hmm. And so I think we have to recognize that your kids don't care if you make $10 a month or if you make $10,000 a month, all they care is that you're there, that they get to see you, that you spend time with them. And if they don't have that early on, especially our daughters, they'll go seek that later in life and they'll try to fill that void for the rest of their life. So I think we have to recognize at the same time that if we're doing this for the betterment of others, sometimes to actually have the detriment of what they're going to be. Yeah. I, I want to shift a little bit and talk about the effectiveness of what we can do with the time that we have, because it is very important for us to invest and be present in our families' lives. And I'm starting to be under the mindset and and really convinced that, you know, 
we can do both. I think we can build a, a prosperous life while also being present, loving husbands and fathers. But it's all about that intentionality and how we how we move. And not only for your, your brick and mortar wellness business, but also switching to an online health practice as well. You've been able to scale two businesses to seven figures. How do we increase our effectiveness when we put our head down and work for us to be present with family and friends and relationship and kids when that comes? Or is it that we should do one and then make way for the other? I'm, I'm curious to know if we could do both or if you did the first one and then had the second. Yeah, good question. So for me, I'm not a big fan of the hard work creates success attitude because think about how many people in the world right now work 15, 16, 17 hour days. Hmm. And how many of them are actually successful? Hard work isn't going to make you successful. Hard work is just going to allow you to do hard work so you can feel good about yourself and post on Instagram about the hustle life. What it really requires is smart work. It requires being able to understand, recognize, and systematize what you're doing and slowly remove yourself from the equation. I don't open a business to be an operator. Like my potential in a business isn't to open it and be in it 24 seven. The potential for me in a business is to be able to scale the business, remove myself from the actual output of the business. So I only operate as sort of a board of director. And that's what we need to be focused on. And we focus on that with smart work. And so when I look at the brick and mortar, the first year, I didn't have that. So I did work a lot in it. And I, I would wake up at 4am and go to bed at 11pm. And then I recognized that I needed to pay attention to my net metrics. I needed to systematize processes I was doing all the time. I needed to hire people to replace the tasks that I was doing. And once I started slowly doing that, I removed non-profitable programs. I only focused on the most profitable profitable programs, introduced products as we started to max out what we had, started to put people in place to actually fulfill. I started removing the need of me from the equation. And then I built an actual business that sustained itself and built itself. And I was able to travel and, and do other things. And then when we built up the online platform, same thing. I didn't open the business to be a coach. Mm -hmm. I opened the business to have other people coach to be able to grow and scale the business so I can be at the helm. I love that. A lot of folks get stuck in the sales process, right? Um, and And even from my experience, here I am, I have a beautiful product. I've, I've got the systems in place and I'm, I'm ready to serve and ready to give, but I just can't get that, that sales process down packed or I can't find my audience. I'm having a hard time getting that transaction to, for the money to actually come in. A lot of guys and a lot of people in general find themselves stuck at that threshold. How can you maybe get to that point and then get over the hump of of selling because i know that's also an expertise that you've been able to hone in on in helping systemize and even helping uh optimize that whole sales process for anybody that might have stagnation in their business or might even have a problem getting the first sale done yeah good question so i think in your first the first phase of your business is like zero to a million dollars. And so in that phase from zero to a million, your only goal in life and purpose in life is to sell. A lot of gurus will tell you you need like systems and, and uh, fulfillment and all this stuff, but all of that needs to be pushed to the side. And your only the only thing you're good at in terms of building your thing should be selling your business and selling your product or service. And so when I was first building mine, I learned how to run Facebook ads by myself. There was no coaches. It was, it was 2009. So I was basically lighting money on fire to figure out how to do it. And I did it. And so I generated leads via ads. Leads would come in. I would call them immediately. 
Nobody told me to do that. I learned that I needed to call them within five minutes and they would magically be there. And if I didn't, they weren't. So then I would run ads. I would call leads immediately. Then I would follow up with them and I would text them every month. I would send a new text now. Then I started sending emails out and started building this system to where I recognized that every day for up to the first million dollars in revenue, I needed to be focused on sales exclusively. That's it. Everything else got pushed aside. So I would wake up. I would follow up with all leads that we had previously. I would check all new leads. I would call leads that hadn't been called. I would follow up. I would do my, my sales appointments and just make sure that everything was handled in terms of, of that regard. And then over time, you start replacing yourself from that process. A lot of people now are like, oh, but I can't afford ads. I'm like, okay, well, now your job is to go. How can you produce leads without ads? Okay, your job is to get on podcasts, be a guest on podcasts. I know a lot of people hate it, but Go out there and make connections on social media. Start messaging people. Your only purpose in life is to connect, create these connections. And, and I call this compassion conversations because sales doesn't have to be sleazy or manipulative. It just needs to be a process you follow every day. And a lot of people say, well, I, have, I don't like selling. I have this resistance to it. And my philosophy on that is, well, then you shouldn't be in business. Mm -hmm. and it's hard to hear, but if you can't sell... And if you're not capable of it and you build this resistance surrounding it, you're never going to grow this thing to a sustainable level because you're always going to be fighting your own progress. Mm, that's amazing. How did your approach change as um, your, your relationships started to get more depth? Uh, you become a father. How did your approach to business change over time? Because uh, I'm interested to know, I know a lot of business owners you know, you know, their business is their quote unquote first baby, right? And and they're so committed to that growth and the scaling process. And, and unfortunately, sometimes that family aspect gets neglected. You seem you've already had that honed in. I'm curious to know how does the approach change as the responsibilities and I guess the necessity of attention to family and fatherhood continues to increase. Yeah, good question. So from the second I held my little girl, uh, kind of everything changed for me. I recognized at that moment that I needed to be there for her, that I was willing to flip everything I was doing upside down in order to maximize the time I had to spend with her. And I wanted to be the father that was going to be there for her, not the father that was working to be there eventually for her, but the father that was going to be at every dance practice, at every gymnastics practice, every recital. And, and I still, to this day, am sometimes the only father who's at literally everything. I'm dance dad. Like I show up to dance class and I'm in there doing it with like the moms are teaching me how to put hair up and stuff. Like I got this now. So nice. it's exciting. But the shift I did was, and there's a quote that Warren Buffett put out that I like a lot. It says, you, you don't buy a dog and bark for it. I started mm. to look at that in my business and say, okay, I'm not going to use my business to be an operator. I'm going to use my business to be an owner. I'm going to use my business to generate profit, to buy more businesses, other people own or other people operate for me. And so that mindset shift took me from a place to where I was like doing sales calls and doing coaching and fulfillment to a place to where I scaled and I removed myself from fulfillment. I don't do any fulfillment. And I remove myself from the sales process. I don't do any sales. My only responsibility in the business is to drive the growth of the business and to be the CEO. And at some point to step out of that and even hire the CEO to replace me for that aspect. And I started looking at that and saying, okay, well, now, if I do this, I don't need to start businesses. I don't need to start building and building and building. I just need to buy things that mm. other people are operating and I can pay them to be operators while taking the cut of the business. So that's kind of the philosophy and how I, I shifted. It's, it's no longer about what can I do in the business? It's what can I get someone else to do in the business and how can I make enough revenue to sustain them? 
What advice would you give to someone? I'm thinking of the listener right now. They're, they're driving in their car on their way to work. They're trading time for money. Or maybe there's a, a guy listening. He's halfway through his workout. Put an extra five pounds on the weight, by the way. Um, and and they're just thinking to themselves, man, I I, I want to dial it in like Chandler. I just don't know where to start, right? Um they don't have a family yet, but they might be looking towards getting one sometime soon. They might be having that ambition of being that present loving father, but they just don't have that infrastructure set up. What are some advice you would you would give to someone first starting out or first maybe honing in on what to do next? Yeah, good question. So do it like the Johnny Cash song, one piece at a time. You nice. take the Cadillac, you build it over the next 20 years. It looks like a Frankenstein thing, but you put it together one piece at a time. Because if you think about the whole concept, it's too much. So you start off with phase one, zero to one million. What are you doing? Every day you wake up and you make sales. That's it. Every day you wake up, you follow up with people. You, you just produce sales. You are everything. Then once you hit the 10 to 20K a month mark, you hire a coach who manages your fulfillment process. That person coaches your clients. Now you scale that thing up again. And you scale it to a point where now you're on too many sales calls. So now you replace your, yourself with a salesperson. That person takes about 20% of your calls in the beginning, and you slowly give them more calls as they, as they prove themselves. Now you've removed yourself from fulfillment and sales. So now you're at a position to where your only responsibility is to manage the sales team, manage the fulfillment team, and make sure that growth is happening via the marketing realm. So next phase, you grow yourself to a point where you can replace the marketer yourself. And now you hire a COO or a CMO or someone to be a marketing director. Now that person works with sales to make sure that leads come in, you manage the whole process, you're the leader now. So you've just reduced your effective time load from fulfillment, sales, marketing, and everything in between by breaking it up into a step-by-step -step process. And remember, step one, you sell, you do everything you can in your entire power to sell. When you hit that 10 to 20K a month mark, you hire a fulfillment coach. That person's responsibility now is to fulfill. When you hit the 50K a month mark, now you hire the sales rep. The sales rep takes over that mark. Now, when you hit the 100K a month mark, you hire the person to manage your marketing. And you've pretty much got three of the main key facets being managed in your business. And your only responsibility is to manage them and make sure they're actually doing what they need to do. And so you're basically, your, your time is spent around making sure that you're managing actual expectations of growth, KPIs for your team, and that the long-term vision of the business is being put into play. But your time has been bought back by buying other people time what timeline would you give somebody for that and i know that that could be a very very wide range so i'm not asking for specifics there but i uh, realistically for someone who's saying all right I, I got the i got the setup i got the steps i got the playbook i'm ready to put my head down and start crushing it what expectation would you give them for how long to anticipate that process to take i would say you can probably get yourself to zero to the first 50k a month in your first 12 months Nice. Most people don't do it because they refuse to sell. They won't get in the quote unquote dirt every day and they won't eat it until they get to the point to where they can start replacing themselves in that fulfillment process or they're afraid to sell. They don't want to talk to people there. They kind of hold themselves back from it. And, and so I think if you focus on that process and the other thing that helps a lot here is to have a sort of, if you're a coach, like a high ticket offer because it's a lot quicker to sell something that's $10,000 or $5,000 or even $3,000 and trying to sell like 10,000 things that are like $200. Yeah. So you kind of have to think about what's the fastest path to scalability and what's my skill set. If you're a good marketer and you know how to run ads and you have a ton of money, then yeah, you can run a $200 thing. But if you're not and you're only like 
you don't know what you're doing. You're kind of trying to get this thing off the ground. Then you kind of need something that's higher ticket because you have a lot more leeway to be able to sell and make mistakes. Mm, I love that. How did, I mean, it sounds like you didn't have that threshold to get through in terms of fear of selling. Hey, you, you got the lead, you call them right away. What would you tell somebody? I mean, you almost wish you could shake people sometimes, right? Like you're like, stop being so afraid. <laughs> but yeah, exactly. <laughs> how would you get them past that threshold? Because as you mentioned, the the fact that you just broke down in 12 months, they could scale to that level of replacing themselves uh, at least with the sales process. You know, that's zero to a million. You're looking at anybody who is dealing with the fear of selling. It's costing them a million dollars a year dealing with that fear. How do you get them over that hump? Yeah, I'll be the first to tell you, I hated selling in the beginning. Every part of my being did not want to do it. I would wake up and just, just hate every aspect of calling these people. I did not like cold calling leads. I didn't like getting on sales calls. I hated it, but I did it anyway. Because sometimes you have to do the hard things in order to make life easier in, in the long run. And this isn't saying you have to put in 80 hour work weeks every day of your life. It's just saying sometimes you have to do the things that make you a little bit uncomfortable in order to do the things that are going to make you massive amounts of success down the road. It's the same thing with someone going to like med school. You're going to put a million hours in into the books in order to make that thing work. You're going to do the same thing over here. Like I didn't like studying anatomy and physiology and learning everything in Latin. That was horrible. I didn't like making sales either. Well, I liked making sales, but I didn't like doing the sales process. And so at some point you have to say, I don't like this, but this is the first step to making the next best version of me actually happen. And if I don't take this step, I'm going to fail and I'm going to falter and I'm, this is never going to work. And then I'm going to make an excuse and go back in the workforce. And so you really just have to look at yourself in the mirror and say, if I don't do it, no one else will. Yeah, no, I love that. I'm shifting the conversation a little bit, and I feel like I know the answer to this question already. Um, but business, parenting, we're, we're, which one's more fulfilling so far? Well, parenting. Like, I'd just be a parent <laughs> if I could. I, people are like, you can't be a stay-at-home dad. I'm like, I would 100% be it because this person is like my best friend. We wake up, and she's like, do you want to do karate? I'm like, yes. Dad, look, armbar. All right, let's go play basketball. And let's go look at butterfly. Oh, look, it's a ladybug. So it's like the most fulfilling journey because you're reliving life with this person who has no idea what anything is. And you're kind of trying to explain it to them, but they don't really understand. And so a hundred percent, the parenting is like the coolest experience that I've ever gone through. How has becoming a father um, altered how you show up in the world as a man? Yeah, it's really taught me to be in tune with my own emotions. I think men are often taught to show up and be tough and be strong and don't cry and don't be emotional. But for me, growing up with the daughter, I find that the more I show my emotions, the more she seems happier with me. And so it's teaching me that when she goes to her dance recital, it's okay to be in the back, like tearing up because it's, it's definitely that thing where you're just like, I don't know why I'm crying. I can't stop though. <laughs> and so it's taught me that that's okay. As a guy, we often hide these things. We mask how we feel. We don't talk about it. But I think one of the most important things we can learn to do and what having a daughter has taught me is that... It's important that we talk about it. It's important that we talk about when we're happy. It's important that we talk about when we're sad and everything in between, because statistically, guys are the ones who are least likely to talk about how they feel, but the most likely to commit suicide. And so we have to recognize that we don't need to follow to these societal standards of masculinity. Like I don't have to be this big, tough guy 24-7. I can have emotions and it's okay. And once I learn to release those and allow that to come out and happen, not only makes me a better parent, it makes me a better person and I feel better. 
Mm, absolutely. How did you first start getting in tune with that emotional side? Did it come before your daughter, after your daughter? It came, I would say the first time I held her, it was like this feeling of like electricity and I was, why am I crying? I, I can't stop. And then all of a sudden it just kept happening again and again. And I felt these like surge of emotions that started to, to really come out and happen. And so it taught me that, okay, you know what? Being emotional is okay. Part of this process is teaching her that she can be emotional too. And that it's not bad to cry. It's not bad to feel bad. It's not bad to feel good and everything in between. It's okay to go through this whole spectrum because that's how humans are. That's what we're built. That's how we're designed to be. Yeah. For anyone that's looking to optimize their approach, and as we come to the end of the episode, because um, honestly, Chandler, you've had so much advancement through life. I, I mean, we didn't even touch on the crypto. Was it $25, $250 you turned to like 50000 or something? Oh, yeah. When we were first opening up my first brick and mortar, I was like, hey, let's buy this thing called Ethereum. And my partner was, she was like, I think it's a scam, but whatever you think. So then I did it. <laughs> And uh, that, yeah, that 250 initial $250 investment turned into like $50,000. And so we did the same thing. I bought this coin called Litecoin, a coin called Matic. And I started learning how to kind of look at the, the coins and figure out which ones are total scams and which ones solve big problems and have scalability. And so we're able to kind of replicate that over and over and over again. I love that. And I think that for me, I, I touch on that just to... I guess highlight some of the importance of how important it is for us to kind of be malleable, but also be attentive to the world around us and where it's going and what's happening. Uh, we could have our head down, we can grind, we can work on our businesses and scale. And I'm not saying get distracted. I'm not, I'm not kind of advocating for distractedness, but I'm also just advocating for, you know, keeping an ear to the ground, paying attention to where the world is going and and kind of picking up on how we can probably leverage some of these trends in our direction. And I also want to touch on um, the, the health business focus that had six pillars. You had the six pillars of the mental health, the social health, the sleep, the nutrition, fitness, wealth. Um, how'd you come up with those six? And what does that mean for the foundation of how you show up every day in your life and what you hope maybe some men listening can adopt in their own lives? Yeah. So when I came up with the six pillars of wellness and I just, I added a seven one a seventh one recently was, in the brick and mortar, I probably met with three or 4,000 different people one-on-one. -on -one. And we worked with them, we talked with them and figured out what was the most important aspect of someone becoming overall well. And because I came from biochemistry, I have like a scientific mind. You figure out what's going on, then you start mapping it out, then you create the mind map, then you all of a sudden have a system and then you can see what the problems and, and issues are associated with people. And so what I figured out was number one, people always walked in and their mental health is wrecked didn't matter, man, woman, whatever. If mental health was not in order, everything else was going to fail. It didn't matter what diet you started. It didn't matter what you did, anything you did. It was all going to go down the, the drain if you didn't get mental health in order. Number two that I found was social health. If you walked in and people were telling you that you sucked, that you weren't going to make it, you were wasting money, this was a dumb idea, you were going to immediately fail because you were already, it's like inception of the brain. They're, they're rewiring your brain to think bad thoughts, to think horribly, to think that you can't make it. The third thing that I looked at was sleep. If someone's sleep wasn't optimized, it was going to impact their mental health. It was going to impact the way they felt about themselves and others. And no amount of nutrition or fitness could fix that. Then the next thing we looked at was nutrition. So nutrition had to be organized in a way to where it was based on something that was sustainable for people to do and not something that was like a diet. So it wasn't like keto, pescatarian, a 48-hour Hollywood cookie diet or, or everything in between. It was what foods do you like and how can you make this work in sort of a balanced macronutrient composition that allows you to do this when you're at work, when you're at home? So that way it's sustainable and doesn't make them hate themselves when they fail or, or cheat, quote unquote. 
And then the next thing was fitness. Fitness was less about going to the gym and like wearing a nipple tank and like just smashing weights and more about how can you make this thing sustainable and fun? Because the most important aspect of fitness for me is bone density, which is one of the single biggest predictors of longevity of life. So, hey, if you like going for a swim, go for a swim. If you like going for a hike, go for a hike. If you like doing crossfit stuff, do that. But figure out what's sustainable for you that's not miserable because nobody likes going to the gym. Actually, nobody likes driving to the gym to run on the treadmill because it's horrible. It's miserable when you could have just run at home anyway, but the treadmill is the worst thing imaginable. Any cardio equipment sucks unless you like it. Yeah. But, and then the last thing was wealth. And so what, one thing I found was as I went through these six pillars, the one that was missing was the seventh wealth, because most people are not able to financially manage themselves now and for their future. And when you look at it statistically, I think even people who are doing over 200 K a year, it was like 40% are still living paycheck to paycheck. Why? Because just because you make more money doesn't mean your lifestyle is going to change and you're going to spend more and you're going to just be in the same situation worse off. And so wealth became the final pillar that we had to solve because if wealth wasn't in word that immediately impacted mental health, that immediately impacted your sleep and everything in between. And so that's kind of where the six pillars came about. Yeah, if you're always worrying where your next dollar is going to come from, you can't really fully, you know, treat your mental health and relax and lower your stress levels because exactly. you're always you're always kind of uh, kind of risking it, if you will, rolling all the dice. A um, couple last questions here, because man, your wealth of knowledge, and while I got you, why not ask? Is you <laughs> know what, what are some of the life lessons you've learned in your Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu journey? Man, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, it's like one of the biggest life lessons I've learned is sometimes it's about the ebb and flow. So in yeah. jiu-jitsu, you'll find sometimes you'll go against a guy who's like the most aggressive human in the history of the world. They're just like pow, pow, pow. And what I learned in that moment is I move into a defensive stance. So they become aggressive. I'm defensive. I allow them to go aggressive. They tire out and then I beat them. When someone's super defensive, I know that I should be aggressive because they're just going to sit there and be defensive. So I have to play upon the opposite of what they're doing in order to beat them at the chess game. And sometimes in life, we have to be able to do that with other people. This is kind of being pliable in your interactions with human beings. If someone is super aggressive and ego-driven, it's okay to take a step back and be a little bit not so ego-driven, to be even inferior to them. I for People are like, wait, what? Be inferior? But my ego can't handle that. Well, guess what? If you're trying to work, win in a business negotiation with someone with a massive ego and you go inferior, they're going to buy from you because they feel mm -hmm. good about themselves. They're typically insecure. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, if someone's insecure, you have to go a little bit ego-driven to help them make a decision. And so you have to kind of pli be pliable based on the personality that you're interacting with. And I think that's a huge lesson that I learned from, from jujitsu that says, okay, it's not always about bashing egos. It's not bashing the same personalities. It's shifting and adjusting based off of who you're interacting with and the way that they sort of see the world. I love that, man. I, I love that. Chandler, this, is, this has been hugely, hugely valuable. And, and I know we ran the gambit of a whole bunch of different topics, but I, I know we only scratched the surface because we barely even got to talk about elite ads um, and, and all that. But I know that there's a lot of value that you can provide for people through that. So I want to make sure that the audience, I'm sure they loved what they've been hearing. They want to connect with you. They want to follow you. They want to hear more about your journey and also maybe tap into elite ads. How can folks connect with you, find your brands, and of course, get more value from you on social? Yeah. So what I did was I put together a little guide that's the eight steps to being able to optimize your business and life. If you want that, just go to instagram.com forward slash Chandler underscore SAF. That's C-H-A-N-D-L-E-R underscore S-A-F. And just DM me the word eight steps. 
and I'll send the guide right over to you. And then you'll see elite ads and, and everything in between. You'll also see my Instagram, which is me and like a jujitsu gi with my little girl. And uh, I do stuff about life, stuff, stuff about business and everything in between. I love that. You had like the little mini car you were pushing around the, the pool. <laughs> Yeah, the little dog. <laughs> yeah, that 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 was great. But I'll I'll be sure to have that link and and that information in the show notes so folks can kind of uh, go right to your right to your links and, and get those details. Um, and, and last question here, Chandler. It's usually the heavy one, so I don't mind if you need to take a couple seconds to to think about it. But it's it's what's something that you've seen or something that's happened to you in your life that shapes the way you view the world as a man. I think one of the biggest things that's happened to me in life was the beginnings of my business was it's hard. It's always hard in the beginning. You start to become sort of defensive towards people. You start to become sort of almost even hate sort of hatred, have hatred towards people because of how many people come in, how people sort of like roll you through the dirt sometimes in the beginning of business. And I sort of lost my emotions initially. I always talked about like, oh, we don't have emotions here. They're not necessary. But what I learned was that everybody comes in with a different story. And I have to go back into the position I talked about in the beginning of checking my ego, meeting them where they're at, and ultimately recognizing that I control the flow of who's allowed to be in and who's not allowed to be inside the business. And once I did that, I, it brought back the compassion, it brought back the care, it brought back everything that I got into this game for and everything that I'm all about. Man, I love that. That's amazing. Chandler Walker out of Reno, Nevada, CEO of Elite Ads. Thank you so much for, for being on the show today. Thank you for the time and, and thank you for the value, brother. Yeah, thanks for having me. Hopefully everyone listening got one more rep in if you're in the gym and you didn't fall asleep while driving. You had a great experience and hope to see y'all in my Instagram. No, absolutely. And and for anyone that's finishing up at the gym or still driving, I wrote down some gems that you left along the way. I'm going to recap some of that really quick for folks. Uh, it, it wasn't my fault. A lot of times as kids and in our adolescence, we internalize things and we make things about us. And it's amazing to kind of realize that some of those experiences we had at a young age we're not our fault. And being able to approach situations and maybe others with patience, being able to communicate and check our ego could help us better assess the situation. And then, you know, words can create power only if you allow them. Maybe use some of that verbal jujitsu to de-escalate certain situations that you find yourself in life. And don't let your ego take control and lead to an outcome that you otherwise would have rather prevented. And that what are you doing? What you're doing really isn't what you want to do. Maybe you've put the ladder up along the wrong building and you're on floor 50 and you're 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 too high up. You feel like you're too high up to start over again, but you never wanted to be on that building or on that ladder in the first place. Maybe reassess and find out what it is you really want to do in your life. And you don't have to sit at the end of your road and look back and wonder what if. Who cares what other thinks? Sometimes we attach ourselves to the titles, the accolades, more so than our true values and what we really want to do in life. And we don't exist in their lives. We exist in ours. We have one to live. Start start working your business, systemizing things and so you can remove yourself so you don't have to trade time for money for your whole life. That way you could be better present and be there for your family, your loved ones, your friends, your kids. And also... Leaning into that sales process, especially at the start of business, you don't buy a dog for it to bark and then bark for it. Start buying things, buy systems and processes, maybe businesses and that are operating on their own so you can utilize your time for how you want to and be there for those that love you. Be attentive and of course, also make sure that you know it's going to be hard at the beginning, 
but the juice is going to be worth the squeeze once you get to the end. Speaking of the end, I'm glad that you guys made it all the way to the end here with us. Make sure you hit that like button, subscribe to get a new episode each and every single week. Share this with a friend you know can get value from it. It's the best compliment you can give us. And as always, make sure to leave us a rating so you can let us know how we're doing because that's the only way we improve. Thanks for making it to the end, guys. And as we always say, everybody wants the sunshine, but they don't want the rain, but you can't get the pleasure. Let's get back to the day. I think we're going to do a great job.